Hi, welcome back to the AMPS podcast. My name's Owen Peters. And I'm Owen Shirley. And today you find us in a tunnel under the railway um, in an area of Bristol called St. Werberg's. Um, and it's fairly gusty and you're going to have to tolerate a little bit of passing traffic, such as this. Yeah, we're picking up all these sounds on a Sony PCM-D100 handheld recorder with the mic set in a coincident setup so we can capture as much of the acoustic in here as possible. Yeah, and the reason that we've done this today is because uh, this episode features uh, the principal sound team from uh, a feature film called Military Wives, uh, which is Paul Paragon, the production sound mixer, and Loveday Harding, uh, first sound. Yeah, it's in reference to one of the more celebrated scenes in the film where characters choose to sing under a tunnel with a beautiful acoustic just like this, so we thought we'd try it for ourselves. Yeah, a bit of experimentation as we like to do on this podcast. Um, now, with Military Wives, there was a fairly large sound team, which also included AMPS members Jen Anor and Nina Rice. Um, and in the discussion with Paul and Loveday, um, they talk about their relationship with the director, Peter Catania, and the challenges technically of uh, bringing that, 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 that story to life. Yeah, so here they are in their own words, uh, Paul and Lovely. So, hello, I'm Paul Paragon. I am a production sound mixer on film. And uh, I haven't always done that. My career started off in the music industry as a studio assistant and then a studio engineer. And then I started uh, doing documentaries and music films in television and then more recently have become a production sound mixer on movies. And hi, I'm Loveday Harding. I'm first AS, which is first assistant sound. Um, and I'm just in charge of all the mics, any miking, so boom and radio mics. And being the person on set who liaises between Paul and um, anyone on set. Okay, excellent. So we kind of come together, it's a great idea to talk in more detail about Military Wives, which was released last year. Um, this year, great this suggestion. year. This year was Re it? Released in March. That's how, uh, that's how <laughs> this year has gone for me, really. I'm yeah. time lost. <laughs> so it was released the week of lockdown. So no one obviously went to the cinema to see it. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> I know, yeah, sure. it's such a shame. Um, but um, then this month, um, or last month, it was released on Home Entertainment. So you can watch it on Amazon, Sky and Google, and I think one of the Viacom channels has it as well for, for you know, as, or, as rental or to purchase. Yeah. Um, so it's one of, one of the strange benefits, in a way, with that, that window being shortened or mm. able to be shortened for streaming. Um, hopefully it'll find a proper life yes. via streaming and DVD and Blu-ray platform and where it couldn't get the cinema run that it deserved. Well, we hope so, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sure. But it's a yeah, it seems like a really interesting sound challenge. And the the more I sort of dug into it and thought about it, one of the main things that just struck me is with uh, the director Peter Catania. His desire was to capture as much of the sound on location, natural performance of singing. Yes, and the film relies very heavily on singing being centered around a group of women forming a choir and learning to sing together. So I thought that was a really interesting challenge. 
When I had my first meeting with Peter, the first thing he said to me was, this isn't a musical and I don't want it to sound like a musical. It's a film about uh, a bunch of ladies that come together um, and form a choir, really, to get through the, the, the sort of psychological trauma that they're having of having their, their loved ones all being off at war in Afghanistan. Um, and he wanted... Uh, Peter's famous for, you know, his full Monty film, which uh, sort of was a very realistic, even though it had the sort of comedy elements to it. It was a very sort of realistic, uh, sort of warts and all look at uh, a society of men that had all lost their jobs and there was unemployment and the, and the way that they did something to overcome that. And I think Peter, Peter brought that whole mindset to the way he wanted to make military wives, even though military wives isn't the comedy that Full Monty was. He, he wanted to keep the similar belief in the real, the, the real spirit of the thing, otherwise you, you go out of the moment and it loses its impact. So he, he very much wanted to make it sound like a bunch of women singing and learning how to sing together in, in real life, um, warts and all. Mm. Sure. Well, can you talk a bit about the kind of preparation involved ahead of the shoot? And Because I guess um, there wouldn't have been so much in terms of rehearsal because one of the things you wanted to do was capture the performances as real. So you're not kind of rehearsing so that everything's nailed before you shoot. You're actually just technically getting prepared to then record it from day one, essentially. Yes, that's right. The, 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 the cast, although they did know the numbers that they would be singing, um, they did have two days where they got together and did a bit of singing, but... Mm that was really for the songs that they would be performing later in the film once they had become good in the story. Okay. So they weren't really given any practice on all the early songs in the film um, because we didn't want them to rehearse. They had to sound like they, they had, you know, some of them had never sung. And, and Peter was very uh, careful to cast all actresses that didn't have a background in in musical film or musical theatre, mm. um, because he wanted it to sound real. And they, they rehearsed the, the big numbers at the end as, as we went along through the film, and we shot it in almost real time mm. so that they would improve over the eight weeks that we shot it. Can I just say, so it was very much to do with them being their characters, and so being knowing their characters and then how their characters would start off so that would not so they had to become the characters and then try singing do you think that's right yeah so it's a bit extreme yeah no no it was it was the, the characters had to go on the journey as much as yeah. they were going on a journey as well because yeah. they had to learn how to sing yeah. as did their characters yeah. um yeah of course um so that was that was quite good and i think it, you know asking asking someone who's a trained voice to come and do that would be a lot more difficult and that was what peter was concerned with i mean in terms of the technical setup that we had to prep beforehand, you know, it wasn't that much different from any other film shoot in terms of the dialogue and everything. But um, then there, we also had, um, you know, all the playback uh, stuff because they would have a backing track in their earpieces. They all wore hidden earpieces mm. um, to sing to, and we so we had a, a Pro Tools engineer called Benjamin Gandhi who sorted out all the sessions and then we had 
an off-screen keyboard player who was the arranger called Shane Rutherford-Jones, and he, he would be able to play into their earphones, and um, in their earpieces, they could hear combinations of the playback track, which was a very simple piano and guide vocal, and a live keyboard player who was offset. Also, um, Sharon Horgan's character, Lisa, plays a keyboard accompaniment in the story as well. So her keyboard was also fed into our system and it looped back into their earpieces. And sometimes the choir would want them and sometimes she would just want them in her personal feed. But we had sort of instruments and playback and offset keyboards, you know, several different IEM feeds for them. Mm. So they could choose what they wanted to listen to. And one of the kind of key aims for the shoot was to avoid overdubs as much as possible. Is that right? Where everything should be, you know, we should be hearing the sync sound in the edit. Well, this, this, yeah, this was very much Peter's concern to make sure that everything was absolutely believable and didn't take you out of the edit. So not did he only want to record all the music live on set and not use anything that was pre-recorded. Not only was it wanted to be recorded, but he wanted to use all the sync mm. so that whatever the shot was, we were using the sound for that shot. So it literally, if you, you know, all the lip smacks and breaths and, and everything was, was matched the picture, mm. um, which then would, you know, normally cause an editor a, a terrible difficulty because, you know, on a wide shot, your mics are usually in different places to on a tight shot. And, you know, if you want to use the sync from each shot, then the, the sound's going to bounce around all over the place and change and there'd be non-continuity. So the way I approached it was how I'd approach recording choral music in a, in a church for a classical concert or something like that. Once you've put your mics, your stereo mics, where they need to be for the best sound, then they don't move at all. Um, so we were literally putting like a mark on the floor where the stereo mic was going to be above and then I'd measure, we'd get a tape measure, measure how high we've got it and there it would stay. I mean, this, the stand might have to go to different places because of the ca different camera moves, but I had to make sure that mic was still in the same place. Yeah. So it'd fly in from different places, but the mic, the pair itself was always on the same spot, wasn't it? And yeah we would move the stands to let the cameras get different shots. Yeah, because um, they might do a complete reverse. Yeah. But, but that way you can cut together any shot you like and still make sure that the sync matches flawlessly because it, the mics don't ever change position. It's quite an elegant solution, really, because that, that, that was the part that was slightly making my head spin Yeah. as a dialogue editor, sound editor, thinking about trying to maintain that perspective. It was all shot in stereo um, with a... With a with a stereo pair and spot mics on the soloists, which obviously we could move in and out yeah. um, as the soloists did their thing. And uh, you might yeah, want to so talk more about that. So even though the, that, yeah, the stereo is exactly the same place, but they're doing a close-up, so I'm right in there with a the boom on whoever they're doing the close-up on. And which mics were you using? Well, um, that kind of developed as the singers got better. Mm. As the, as the storyline uh, changes from them being a bit of a rabble to being a choir in the Albert Hall, the, the rabble of ladies uh, learning to sing. How many were there? There's probably about 
15 or so. Yeah, because there were extras in there too, weren't there? Yeah. Um, they were all radio mic'd on DPA 4060s. So... But then the stereo pair... Yeah, it was a less critical stereo pair. It was more of an ambient pair for the room. Yeah. Um, so they were all close mic'd, spot mic'd with their lavs. Unless they were doing a, a solo, which Loveday would fly the boom in, yeah. wouldn't you? But what happens when you, when you do that is you, they don't blend at all. They sound like lots of individuals <laughs> all singing at once. And it makes them sound like an unblended amateur choir. And then there's a transition song in the middle of the film, which is Cindy Lauper's Time After Time. And they go from being a bad choir to a good choir. So at that point, somewhere in the song, we changed our microphone technique. Mm. And we had an ORTF pair, a stereo pair, when that's the pair that never moved. And rather than having a pair of cardioids on it, the mics I love the best for this sort of thing are um, CCM or CMC's 22s, which aren't used very often, but I think they're the most wonderful choral mics ever. Um, they, they're cardioid in shape in their polar pickup, but they've the clever people at Sherps have extended the bass, so they sound much more like an omni sound. Mm. You know, they've got an, a nice flat extended bass that you don't get with a cardioid. So they sound, if I want to use a colloquial term, they sound warm, yeah. um, <laughs> as some people might say. But um, yeah, they've got a really good bass response and they sound great on, on choirs. And they suit an ORTF pair because, they, because they're spaced. You get that lovely blended phase sound that spaced pairs, near coincident pairs, can give you, which uh, you wouldn't get from a coincident pair. So, you know, as the choir improves, we, the, the, they, they blend more. We use the microphone techniques that give a, a blended uh, sound. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, the, so the hardware is giving you that extra yeah, element we, of Yeah, well, well, that's really. it. I, the, 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 um, it's, it's a, it was a real case of using the technology creatively you know, picking the right mics to actually tell the story. Mm, yeah. um, not just to get the best sound, but actually the sound tells the story because you want them to sound like a rabble. You use lots of spot mics. If you want them to sound like a polished professional choir, you use a blended near coincident pair, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's a creative storytelling in, in terms of sound. Um, and, and, and the other thing, actually, the other thing about miking them all is there's quite a lot of impro going on because the women were on this journey in real life learning how to sing. So they would impro all the little jokes yeah. and things. Quite so you never knew who was going to say something funny next. Yeah. Um, hmm. So it was good to have quite them all mic. Dream yeah. character impros, yeah. <laughs> but what, what I find wonderful as a, as a sound mixer is that there's lots of different musical films or films that have music in them. And there are, you can make the whole film sound totally different by choosing the way you're going to record it. And you have to pick the way that best tells the story to achieve the director's vision. And what's amazing is that you, you can, you've got all those different 
methods and tools in a sound mixer and boom operators toolbox that you can use to tell the story and get different effects. And, and it's a way to interpret the director's vision and, and say, this is how I'm going to do it for, for this type of film, or this is how I'm going to do it for that type of film. I, I find that absolutely exciting and, you know, encouraging that, you know, our, our craft has the ability to have such a creative input. And it's changed, you know, there's, it's, there's so much more we can do now, because I did um, Mike Lee's Topsy Turvy with Tim Fraser again, and that was a lot of live singing again, but that was a long time ago, and so, yeah, the equipment that we've got now to do it, it's, it's brilliant, mm. but it, it's been really interesting doing different musicals. Mm. By, I'm not a really special musical person, but through the, that amount of years, I've actually done quite a lot and there's change in it all. Actually, something that I learned, because I, I'm a big believer in that you never stop learning. Some, something that surprised me uh, was when I first started talking to Peter Catania, he said, oh, you will, you will multi-track it, won't you? And I, I'm like, yeah, of course I will, you know, it's what we do. <laughs> and he's going, yeah, I want to be able to bring um, the, you know, I want to be able to control the individual levels of the different actresses. So if I want to bring one out more. Now, I'd kind of put my... Um, choral recording hat on and I just went oh my goodness don't no. hit your mic sorry <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought oh my goodness no no you can't do that you know if you're filming you know an orchestra and the camera pans onto the first violinist you don't fade up the vice violinist you know you keep the sound <laughs> the same you know other, yeah. <laughs> um, and I just thought no no you, you can't you can't do that just because you you keep the sound the same otherwise it will sound and he's, he said to me, no, it's not for the sound. He said, I might need it to tell the story. Great. Mm. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he said, well, he's oh, there might be characters. one particular, it's about characters, and I, I might, I won't do it much, but I might just need to get in the head of one particular actress as she's saying a certain line. So it's not that I want the audience to hear her more mm. for her line, but it's just that I want to get in her head because that line is about her and therefore get the the person in the audience to get into her head yeah. and i thought well that's interesting I, I i mean of course i said yes and i thought well i wonder what that'll be like and because it goes against everything that you learn as classical mixing yeah you know it's just really what not you do when you're mixing classical music so you know when i saw that mixed and they'd they'd pushed forward i thought Wow, that really, really works. Just a, just a certain key moment, you know. It's not like every time you go for a close-up, you fade that person up, but just like once or twice in the whole film, you want to just get into that character's head. Hmm. And he did it like just once or twice, and, and it really, really worked. And I thought, ah. Yeah, and and I learned a lesson there. But also it's something to just do a little bit, not overdo it. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's where Peter's that teeny... really... Yeah. Clever to just, just bring it in. Small focus shift. Yeah, it's the master of subtlety. Yeah, in just yeah. in a few cases mm. through the film. Well, that's the great thing about collaboration, really, isn't it? In principle, that yeah. he's looking at your job in just a slightly different way to how you would look at it. And you kind yeah. of, everything gets stronger as a result of mm. having that conversation. Mm. Um, so then, with like such a massive workflow and so much that you're dealing with on location, 
Was there conversations with Post in the earlier days to work that out, or was that more you were kind of trying to make things simple for them? And yeah, I, um, Connor Mackey, who's the assistant editor, was track laying and bringing everything in. He he was absolutely wonderful because you know the the, the normal way forward is to deliver uh, poly files for sound, which is quite difficult when you've got twenty four tracks. Um, and then you literally cut and they say, go again, turn over, because we're trying to squish all of our filming straight into, uh, you know, six, six weeks of principal and then two weeks of additional. The machines don't go fast enough to, to close a polyfile so big. So right from the start, we asked him if we could deliver monofiles for the multitrack, and he was absolutely fine with that. And I don't know why everyone just doesn't do it. I don't know why we use polyfiles all the time and 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 once I knew that editors can actually cope with monofiles um, I went on to my next film which was another musical and and did the same thing and it it just seems to be the way forward for monofiles is that really boring sorry that's no, really no. too technical we're but, not we're but, not afraid um, of uh, the nerdiness but the ner- ner- <laughs> nerdiness we found for us monofiles were the way forward because the polyfiles were taking too long to close um, and they just wanted to go again. So it, we had to do monofiles. Editorial were absolutely fine about that, and um, it all went tickety-boo. I mean, that is interesting, I think, because you found a way in the workflow to allow the performance to continue seamlessly. You know, you weren't having to ask for a minute just for no. your recorder to process a file, you know, yeah. which would have really interrupted a flow of a day, especially with the amount of takes that you'd be doing. So Yeah, I mean, sometimes if you finish a song, they just want to go straight again while it's... Right, while it's there, you know, not... No, you don't want to be the department who's going, hey, look, hold on, we're not quite ready. Yeah. So, of all things, you know, a poly what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, really, it's not it's the best not excuse, really. not even worth time to explain it. Just, <laughs> so it's best to get around the problem. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, love, Dave, do you want to talk about um, your relationship with costume and makeup and kind of camera and, like, was it any different to other shoots or was there particular things that were unique to this project? Uh, not really very different. I mean, I suppose it it helped with how I work. I always work closely with costume and with the camera department. That's just how I am because I can do what I... I can get mics to where I want to if I get on with them well um, and talk with them and I can get my boom in or my big stereo mic in exactly where I want if I get on with them. So that's actually how I go about working anyway. So maybe that's where this job was quite good for me because we really needed it. Yeah. I think it's all to do with, like, getting on with your other departments. Mm. And they trusted us so much. So all of it was just about getting on with people. They hadn't had this thing of having this stereo mic that had to stay in the same place. But they hadn't had that before. I hadn't actually had that before. But as soon as we explained it to them and showed that we could move this mm. ridiculous, this stand that sometimes it was on a really long pole and sometimes it was on a short pole, as soon as we showed that we could do it, they were really happy to be very understanding. It took a, yeah, it didn't take very long, really. It's all, it's all about getting on with people, really. Mm. And showing that you're confident and you know what you're doing yeah i think that's it i think i think um anyone of lesser caliber than 
Love Day wouldn't have pulled it off. I don't know. Because I, I think <laughs> Love, Love Day's got the ability to speak authoritatively um, when she says, we can't move the mic, people but listen, I listen and nice. believe her. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to say it. You just, well, I don't know. How do you say it? <laughs> I don't know how you say it, but you, it starts by people believing in you. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get their confidence, don't you? I yeah. think that's what you're... And I, I, that's how I work anyway mm. um, on any shoot when you just, you know, before you get into the singing or anything, I make sure I get on with the operator and the focus puller who I'm going to be standing right next to all the time um, because later I'm going to need a bit of help <laughs> from yeah. them. Yeah. But it's it's not just the, the crew that um, love Day and... Uh, Thania, and then in the additional photography, it was um, uh, Nina Rice and Jenna Noor. You know, it was not just the crew that had to explain all these new things to. Um, they weren't used to, like, a, a non-moving mic and, um, yeah. um, you know, and, 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 and radio mics popping out of the costume to get better sound um, mm. when they were in the back row of the choir and stuff like that. It, it was also uh, really the cast. I mean, if you imagine that the cast had not had experience of singing. They had literally two days before we started shooting where they were introduced to the numbers, the songs, and never worn earpieces before. Or a couple of them had. I think, yeah. I think Kristen had Kristen worn earpieces before. Yeah. And Sharon. But, um, you know, they, they, they had none of this. And, you know, someone in a musical film would normally have experience of. And... I, I just want to jump back to something before. We didn't have the budget for, well, the film didn't have the budget for us to put all the mics on the outside. Okay. For visual effects to be able to get rid of them. Like, I worked on Cats afterwards and they've got all the mics there and visual effects can get rid of lots of stuff. It's not a big budget film, so we couldn't even think about doing that sort of thing. You know, if you've got a huge budget, you can go, right, I really want all the mics on the outside. Yeah. But we didn't have that sort of budget. So, you know, we had to do them traditionally hidden. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because on, on huge films, you can put them all on the outside and digital effects can yeah. take it out. Yeah. But just, just, to, just to finish off what I was saying about the cast, you know, they, they, were, they were very nervous. When they first, when we yeah. turned over, they, they, they literally stand there and have to sing and they're not supposed to sing well. <laughs> and I think, and, 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 they, and they have to learn how to become a choir over a space of six weeks in real life. And then they've got a performance at the Albert Hall at the end of it, you know. And I think they look to us as a sound department and, and especially Loveday, who's in the, in the front line, yeah. so to speak, for encouragement because, you know, we're the ones that... Of, we, you know, we, we, we've got the ears and they, when, they've, when they've finished a number, the first place they look is over to us. Yeah, <laughs> I'd find them running back to Paul to sort of... How okay? was it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Which you don't normally get no. in a film. You, you don't have the characters running back to sound. Yeah, but, sound up front and centre for a change, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you, you, and I you didn't were really doing know a lot of... A lot of encouragement, weren't you? And, yeah, well, yeah. we'd already got to know them in their trailers by doing... Because we did all their radio mics in their trailers every morning um, so that the minute they were on set, we weren't fussing around them. So they were ready to go. Um, so we got to know them then. Um, so 
because it was singing, they did come to us to ask or, or look to us to ask how they were doing. Yeah, that's great. And that talking about the location just brought me on to another point in my mind, which is that the film doesn't take place in one location. The singing occurs in multiple locations, really, interior and exterior. So, I mean, you've got the drill hall uh, to start, but then you've also got a pub, a church, uh, the Royal Albert Hall, as you mentioned. You've, um, you can't forget the big... Um, the cave. The cave or, thing. Uh, railway arch. The railway arch. The most interesting one in my mind, yeah, yeah. the railway arch. Yeah. So we're underneath... A railway bridge, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it's an old yeah. disused viaduct. No, not a viaduct, a tunnel, an old tunnel. And it, it wasn't just pretend rain, it was chucking with rain. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's OK, so that's real rain, that's well, not... We well, had, it, was, it was going to be rain, but... We had, we had a Bowser, didn't we, which we didn't need in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and to get to that tunnel, because of all the rain, and we're right up in northern England somewhere, it was cold, and it was really, really muddy. The whole of the inside of that that arch was just thick mud, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, really, we were working in, in you know, eight inches of mud. And, and we've got <laughs> everything there on quad bikes. Blimey. Mud spraying everywhere. Yeah, so... So yeah. we're doing something really technical in a really muddy wet place. In the dark, in where the you dark. can't hear yourself think because of the echo. Oh, God, it, was, it, was really... it, it was like a, an echo that just went on forever because... <laughs> The far end of the tunnel was bricked up, so it just went all the way down and bounced all the way back. Oh, wow. But it's um, great that that actually is part in the film. Really. But yeah. it made them do an outstanding performance because I think, I think and, you know, and I've, when people watch the film, they always go, what about the railway? That was amazing. And it was, it was quite amazing because they... It was cold and horrible and it was so obvious when we were doing it. It was really special. Hmm. Really mm. special. And it was just like that, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, how you see it in the we film is actually how it was, you know. Listening to them singing there, how, however muddy and stuff we were, we knew it was great. Oh, OK, it great. It was lovely. It's, yeah, I mean, it sound, the scene sounds fantastic to me, and that's, with everything we talked about so far, I'm just, how did you manage to capture that so effectively? Um, because it doesn't sound like the problems that you're describing, you know, it doesn't sound <laughs> like a messy, hard day. It sounds sweet. And... <laughs> so how, how we did that, that, that one actually sort of breaked from the normal patterns of how we did it because they, they were standing in little groups. Sure. So we did film, we recorded each little, little group individually. Okay. So you, they were generally spaced out in groups of three or four people and that's, we we just did the close-up of three or four people and then took a wide with a guide track um, and, and built it like that. But that was generally shot with uh, either a stereo pair on a group of people going bong, bing, bong, bong, or it was shot on just a single spot mic on one actress doing her bing bongs or singing the main lead line. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of done lots of spots. But nicely done on on proper mics. That wasn't radio mic'd. Mm. I mean, we did radio mic, but we didn't use them in the end. Yeah. Um, Got more open sound of yeah, of the yeah, overheads to and, play with. Yeah, and we had a we had we you know I mean uh, we always put up some ambient mics as well in that tunnel because it was such a unique sound. But um, I'm a big believer in altiverb as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I always. Uh, <laughs> You can't beat it. <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Well, that's excellent. Yeah, and it does, like I say, it does, you really feel like you're there in that space, which yeah. it's maybe a rare example of, of wanting to lean into acoustic yeah. sound, you know, as opposed to trying to dampen it as much as possible. Mm. Well, well, I hope all the scenes feel like you're really there because it, it, we did film it very much in a kind of musical or documentary type style when it came to the music. Yeah. You know. Did you have any control or influence over the yes. locations or were you kind of just given a... Yeah, totally. Mm. Um, I went on all the location scouts and I was listened to. Yeah. Um, and a lot of locations were, were my decision. Oh, OK. Um, Excellent. You know, so uh, the railway tunnel wasn't, but the director just said to me, you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, not a hard, but, not a hard but, argument but, to The make. only place we weren't there, we weren't in the Royal Albert Hall. We were in Pinewood. Oh. So the Yeah, that was my next kind of interest, because <laughs> with all those real-world locations having their benefits, obviously we weren't able to shoot at the Royal Albert Hall, so that was a studio shoot. Which is really sad that it wasn't. The but... proms were actually on at the time, so okay. when we were shooting, so that wasn't possible to shoot at the Albert Hall, but... Yeah, which it, which is really sad, but, you know, it's not a huge budget film. We didn't organise it three years in advance, which is how you have to book that place. Um, mm. But I think it still sounds great, that bit. It's yeah. We did have the real brass band there in the background, though. They were, they were in Pinewood. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah, they weren't pasted in. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we just built a kind of Royal Albert Hall stage on, and on we M put, stage. We I put think. drapes everywhere. Around that whole... Rep. Which is the stage with the lovely acoustic. We got the stage with the wooden floor. <laughs> Whichever it is, it's the one with the lovely wooden floor that sounds really, really great. OK. And um, we, 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 luckily that was free for us. You know, it's got, it's got a good acoustic, which, which is, you know, I mean, Albert Hall's got a horrid acoustic. So it, okay. it actually, you know, I'd much rather record it in pine with the, the Albert Hall because <laughs> all that yeah. horrid, horrid reverb. Oh, okay. So I don't know what it sounds like. Oh, Albert crikey! Yeah, I've re I recorded, I've recorded one of the proms at the okay, Al so Albert Hall. Okay, so we're better off. We got mixed, mixed stuff of it from the Albert Hall, and it's nowhere near as, um, you know. So I, fact, I, I wouldn't have wanted, you know, it's, it, it, the M stage or whichever stage it was is much more controllable. Because <laughs> it had to sound special and it did sound special. It's a blessing in disguise, really. Yeah, and once you've put the altiver on over the top of... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, sure. we're back in the Albert Hall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. So after the shoot, were there any pickups or additional recording in post just to help to complete the performances or fill out any of the singing? Because it was a newly formed choir, um, we didn't know how many altos there would be or how many sopranos. And by the time they uh, get to sing in the Albert Hall, they're singing in three, four, five-part harmonies. Um, and, and there was no way we could tell beforehand um, whether, you know, the second sopranos would be as strong as the people singing the bass line or, you know. Um, so... When we finished the shoot, um, the music editor and I uh, did a good working mix of each of each number for the um, for the picture edit. And by the time we'd done that, we had a, a very good idea of what sections within the choir needed a bit of ex extra padding. Now we couldn't just um, add extra padding. Um, because it would 
look wrong if if suddenly you you see three people singing a line and you know you can hear five or six people singing a line it might look a bit odd so what we had done in order to get around this problem is plant dummy singers in each section of the choir um, who would just goldfish the words without any sound coming out and then if for example the second sopranos needed a bit of extra padding there to help them out we could then go and record some extra second soprano line mix it in and it wouldn't look odd because the picture would have a few more people in than we're actually singing um, so we could we could pad out the sections as required in post <clears throat> excuse me and we we um we did a couple of sessions where we had one day where we got some trained singers in who were good and we got them to sing along some padding lines so we could m mix into the little bits that needed a bit more help and then um, Peter also had a list of um, where he thought some of the lines were too bad, or some of the some of the, where he thought some of the original takes were either too good or too bad, and needed some untrained voices in there to uh, to make. We needed some un, unpadded voice. Uh, we needed some untrained padding as well. So we had another session where I recorded um, some untrained singers doing some lines to mix in as well. So that wasn't to replace anything that the cast had done. It was just to give it a little bit of extra underneath. You know, it wasn't much. And I have to say um, that apart from one line... There was no singing ADR at all whatsoever. It was all, apart from one line, it was all the stuff that was recorded sync wow. on set, but only one line replaced, and, and that was purely, purely for, I believe, a, a, a lyric reason. That's great. That's great collaboration to have, to have it continue like that. Mm. So it was quite nice, because you don't, you don't, as a production sound mixer, you, you don't often follow the film into the post. Yeah, and it seemed very valuable in this case because you're trying to create a sense of realism during the shoot and preserve that in the final film, especially as it's based on a true story. Yeah, absolutely based on a true story. And do you know, when I, when I went to the cinema, I see it in my local cinema, and as, as the uh, credits finished and I turned around and, uh, and a lady behind me just said to her, the lady that she was with, she goes, that's exactly how it was. Oh. And I, I turned around and I went, oh, sorry, were you, were you a military wife? And she said, yes, and that's exactly how it was. Oh, wonderful. And I just thought that is, that is the best compliment yeah. you can hear from coming behind. When, you, when your whole reason was to make it sound and feel natural, yeah. um, to have someone in the road behind you going, that's exactly how it was to her friends, that was like, oh, I did my job. Yeah, you know? and it shows, it shows you've got the kind of... The character and the emotional journey spot on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and not only did Peter do that with the film, but, you know, we did it with the sound yeah, as well. Yeah, you've captured it, yeah. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Mm. I can't think of a better ending note than that, really. No. Just a, a, as a critical <laughs> response, that's, 
perfect and uh, mission accomplished. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really. yeah, definitely. So, yeah, excellent job and really, really interesting to hear about it. Um, so thanks so much for just coming on to talk to us and to give us all that behind the scenes yeah. detail. Thank you, Owen. Thank you. So yeah, thanks again, Paul, Loveday, and the entire sound crew on Military Wives. Uh, great to hear those stories from behind the scenes. And if you're interested in hearing more stories just like this, if you've got one that you think would be great for the podcast, then feel free to get in touch with us. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Amps Podcast, and our email address is ampspodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in joining Amps as a member, membership is open to those working in sound for film, TV and games, as well as students who intend to make it their profession. So for more information about Amps and how you can become a member, you can visit amps.net. Yeah, and just to cap this episode off right, uh, here is the sound of a Lotus Exige being driven very quickly through this very tunnel.